Music and art are an expression of an artist's perspective on life. They shape our own perceptions of reality and help us develop an appreciation for the world around us. Connect with creatives of every nature to understand and deepen your connection to their work on the Evoked Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Chicagoan Podcast. My name is Stephanie Welter. I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Success Realty in Barrington, Illinois, and I'm joined today by CBS2 anchor Jim Williams. Good Thank to you be for with being you. here. Good to be with you, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, so I'm very excited. I've been doing some research on you, and I know that you're from Chatham in Chicago. Yes. And you did a little bit of a video montage of the neighborhood, and right. you kind of referred to it as a village. Mm-hmm. What do it you was mean certainly by that? a village when I grew up there. So I grew up on 83rd Street, just west of the Dan Ryan Expressway. Mm-hmm. And it was a community where most of the homes had two parents. The homes then and now are very well maintained by the people who owned them. The grass is pristine. Oh, the backyards nice. are pristine. <laughs> it's a modest place. It was a, and when we moved there in 1962, 60 years ago, wow. it was a little slice of the American dream for African Americans who uh, lived in Chicago, many of whom had origins in the South. They came up, many came up during the great migration of black folks to the North, mm-hmm. and they settled in Chatham. We bought our first home. Uh, for $20,000. Oh my goodness. Right on, right on 83rd Street. <laughs> I wonder and, what it's and, worth and the now. Parents, and the parents, uh, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it was true. The parents raised all the children. Didn't matter if you were, were not related by blood. Yes. You were somebody's child and they were going to look out after you. And the piece that you're referring to, <clears throat> so we started a new four o'clock newscast Mm -hmm. in January. And even though I've been in Chicago and been on television in Chicago for a long time, the producers thought it would be a good idea if my co-anchor, Maurice Vedra and I, went back to our old neighborhoods and introduced the neighborhoods and talked a little bit about our childhood. So I went back to Chatham. Love that. And um, the, the woman that I interviewed, who I have known as long as I, almost as long as I've been alive, we went to grade school together, mm. April Mosley. April lived across the street from us at 83rd and LaSalle, and she and I walked our block, her old block, my old block, and she was able to point out the names of every person who lived on her block. It was that tight knit. Yes. April, first of all, that's my mother's name, so that's oh, near and dear to and my near heart. Near and dear to yes. your heart, very good. It's a beautiful name. It is. And just the concept of you know growing up on a block like that, I'm still close with, we called ourselves the Cobra Club, because that yeah. was like cool in the 90s. <laughs> and this we, was where? Um, what community? Jefferson Park. Jefferson Park, yeah, Northwest, Northwest Side, side yeah. sure. So Similar neighborhood. Yeah, bungalow. It's a neighborhood that Jefferson Park has always had a lot of police officers and firefighters, mm-hmm. city workers. Yes. City workers, city employees have to live within the city limits. And Chatham was a community full of black firefighters and police officers. My father was a police officer, Chicago police officer. He was a lieutenant and was a cop for 35 years. And so um, it, it was not at all uncommon to see 
two or three police officers on every block. That that's, might be an exaggeration, but there were a lot of cops, a lot of firefighters there. Yeah, my it was an economically also. diverse, excuse me, it was an economically diverse community, Stephanie. So um, you did not have in the black community the economic separation that you have today. Today, there are so many more housing options open to black folks that were not open in 1962. Mm -hmm. So in, in Chatham, you had police officers and firefighters living with social workers and teachers and janitors and factory workers. There was great economic integration in right. that community. And uh, it just made for a culturally rich environment. Yeah, to just not be pigeonholed into one economic class, you're kind of all living amongst each other right. and learning from each and, other and, and, and learning from each other and understanding that you know we're all in this together mm -hmm. and uh, we have to look out for one another and it doesn't matter whether you're a college graduate or a high school dropout you know you all have something at stake here and that was the that was the the, the philosophy that, that coursed through that community is that philosophy still present well I, I do think there's more, there's an interesting thing that's happened. I, if, you, if you drive down the side streets of Chatham today, they look like they did when I was a child mm -hmm. there. The grass is great, the homes are well maintained, um, but if you were middle class and black in 1962, there were only so many places you could live that were open to you where mm -hmm. you would not either face hostility or discrimination. In 1962, Chatham was one of them. Today, and I, and, and I point to this example, Stephanie. So in the 60s, people ask me, how did I become a Cub fan? How did I, a kid who grew up 10 minutes south of Comiskey Park, right. on the south side of Chicago, end up a Cub fan? <laughs> well, today, geography has very little to do with it. There's the old cliche, if you're, you're a south sider, you're a Sox fan, north sider, no. It has everything to do with who your parents and grandparents cheered for. So I know people who live on the North Shore of Chicago are diehard Sox fans. They hate the Cubs. I and was I, raised a Sox fan well, because my Uncle Frank stomped on my Cubs hat in 1992 and said, we are Sox fans. And I was on the Northwest side. That was your uncle. Yeah, my uncle. Family connection. Yes. Well, my father was a Cub fan. And how did we become Cub fans? Because Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Fergie Jenkins, when I was a child, lived on the South Side. Oh, that's Chicago. so cool. And I'm saying that not to talk so much about baseball, but to illustrate what was going on in the, in the, in the culture and in the community at that time. Um, even great stars like Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Fergie Jenkins, Hall of Famers, playing on the North Side at Addison and Clark, lived on the South Side because North Side communities just were not open to African Americans. That's unfortunate. Uh, now, Jump ahead, 30 years later, where does Michael Jordan build his mega mansion? Right. In Highland Park. Right. Right? <laughs> the uh, 23 on the gate. Pe people, people live up and down Lakeshore Drive. You know, you look at the Chicago Bulls roster or, the, or you know, the Bulls practice down the street from where we're doing this interview uh, and play at the United Center. They, they live all over. Right. And a lot of them on the north side. They're not living on the south side now. So as a result of all of that, because there's so many more opportunities, you don't have the same concentration of dollars flowing through Chatham that we had back in 1962 and 1972, for that matter. And that's what's, that's what's changed. It's not just spread out. 
It's, um, it, yeah. it, it, it's spread out. People want to go where they can be safe and they want to go where their kids are going to get a good education and they want, to, they want some property, they want some, they want some uh, land, right? Yeah. They want to be able to breathe. And, and the bottom line is we should all have the opportunities to live where we want to live. And people, Amen. all kinds of people have, are taking advantage of that. Well, there were limited options in 1962, but, the, but if there was a positive in that, it was the money stayed on mm -hmm. in the South Side. It stayed in places like Auburn Gresham and Chatham and you know those communities. As folks got more opportunities to live in other places, they left neighborhoods like Chatham. Right. I don't live in Chatham today. Right. I'm not far, but I don't live in Chatham today. Mm -hmm. April Mosley, who was in that piece on CBS2 back in January, lives in another neighborhood sure. today. That makes sense, and that was actually a really good comprehensive analysis. And it speaks to me in a real estate sense because yeah. you know that's that's the way things work. You know, you look at right. what's going on with society, and you know, there's a lot of good in what you said. Where they're not, you know, you can live wherever you want. Absolutely. You're not going to be chastised. You can buy land. You can. You're not going to have any sort of. Where you're, you're forced to live in a certain neighborhood despite any sort of income, you know, bracket that you may be in. Right. So it's a really great thing, but there's also. Obviously, a pendulum that you're going to lose some money in that really great neighborhood because of it. Well, you know, my, my best friend, David, he and I have known each other since we're five years old. Um, he first lived at Parkway Gardens at 62nd and King Drive. That's where Michelle Obama spent her early oh, childhood. Wow. Okay. Then he moved to South Shore with his family. Michelle Obama moved to South Shore <laughs> with her family. And think of so today. My buddy David is now living in a suburban community and has for more than 30 years. Interesting. He's been very successful. He's done well. And like a lot of folks, he took advantage of the housing options that were open to him. But he's not where he grew up. Mm -hmm. I'm not where I grew up. Not where I grew up either. There you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I went to the lake. I like yeah. the, the nature lifestyle. So. Right, right. Uh, so I'm going to transition the conversation just a little bit because I'm so curious about your professional career. Mm -hmm. Um, you're a Chicago institution. Oh, I well, so enjoy you're, you're, watching you. You're very kind. That's you, very generous. It's true. You. Um, you're an Emmy Award winner. Like, that's amazing to me. I think I don't think I've interviewed an Emmy Award winner before. Tell me what that was for. I won an Emmy more than 30 years ago for investigative reporting. We did a story on boards, various city government boards, pension boards who uh, on the taxpayer's dime went to um, these exotic vacation spots. Ooh. And there was very little evidence. We actually had a camera follow them around in one of these places. There was, there was little evidence that real work was being done, but they were living it up. Wow. So we exposed that. Good for you. That's fantastic. And you also have couple other awards I wanted to talk about. There've one been, of them. There have been a handful of others. Yeah. Not I mean, many. There's a pretty long list, but one of them I thought was really interesting is the induction into the National Civil Rights Society. National Civil Rights Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. And Museum. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that's, that's in a recent um, distinction. I'm very proud of that. I don't know that I'm deserving of it, but I'm it's very I'm honored that they would think of me in, in, in that way. And, it, you know, the induction ceremony was in April on the south side of mm -hmm. Chicago. And, you know, various people in media and business and civil rights, the civil rights movement itself have been inducted. And, you know, I'm 
very proud to be among their ranks. Yeah, I mean, you've done a lot and, you know, just being a voice for that cause, I think is so important, you know, just making it not a thing anymore. You know, we're in the, the days of Juneteenth was yesterday right. and, you know, I love the way that social media and, you know, news broadcasting, any sort of, you know, television, movies, are we're seeing a lot more diversity right. and it's not a thing anymore. So whether it be like the LGBTQ community, yeah. like there's just, it's not unusual to see anyone just be themselves. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, whatever cause we're championing, I think that's fantastic. And thank well, you. there are so many more opportunities. Now, I started in this business 45 years ago. And when I think about the changes that have occurred in 45 years in terms of much greater diversity, mm -hmm. sexual orientation, um, racial and ethnic diversity, uh, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable the progress that we've made. When I was uh, starting out in the late 70s, every television station perhaps had one African-American man and one African-American woman. And it, it was really kind of an informal quota. Okay, well, we've sure. got a couple, a man and a woman, and right. we've done what we're supposed to do. And today you see, you know, this... The television stations, the radio stations, the newspapers, I think, have done a much better job of trying to have um, their employees, the composition of their employees, reflect the city that they're serving. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think there's, like you said, or we said before, you know, the negative and the positive in any situation. And I think social media and broadcasting is one of those things where you can look at it in a negative light and say, like, for example, I'm reading a book called Stolen Focus. Mm -hmm. and it yes. Talks, have you read it? I, I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with it. Yes. Right. It's, it's um, scientific evidence um, backing how the way our brains are changing, um, the way we're consuming media, and so the constant interruptions throughout right. the day. So if you check your email while you're working on a project, it's going to take you 23 minutes to get back into focus I state. I believe that. Yeah. And so that is terrifying and it's scary as a parent and it's scary as a human being that's you know been brought up in this age mm -hmm. but on the other side of the coin i love social media because i do think that we're all able to express ourselves our true authentic selves and right. we're losing that quota like you said it's it's no longer a thing anymore because everyone has a platform everyone has a profile everyone's able to just be themselves in a place that everyone has access to. So it doesn't well, so, matter what's on TV. Or... Right. Social media certainly is a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of vitriol and anger on social media. Uh, there's very little filter for some people who perhaps need a mm. filter. I'm all for free speech in the democratic process, but um, there, there are no, there are few gatekeepers now. And so even if you want to put false information or you want to attack someone or you want to threaten somebody's life, you can That's do it on terrifying. social media. Yeah. And innocent comments can be blown way out of proportion thanks to social media. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it has given a lot of people a voice. Mm -hmm. You just don't have to uh, hope that you get on Channel 2 or Channel 5 or Channel 7 or Channel 9 yeah. or Fox 32 or the, have your voice heard in the Sun-Times or the Tribune um, or a magazine to get out there, and some people have enormous social media uh, 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 communities that they've created, and they're doing some really, really wonderful things. Like, I mean, think about 
the way that you're able to get the word out about uh, a word out about some of the things that you do, and so mm -hmm. it has created greater democracy in our in our, our greater representation of of the various voices out there, and it has helped us promote some really important causes. Yeah. I mean, you think about uh, things like there was a little boy with autism in Northwest Indiana, and he invited his classmates to his birthday party, and no one showed up. Oh, this I was, saw This was that. a while ago. And so my, my, my colleague, our anchor and reporter, Brad Edwards, who's a brilliant journalist, heard about this and did a story on it. Love that. And people from all over the country responded and showered this young man with gifts and cards to let him know that he was loved. Yes. You know, and the mother That's was the just overwhelmed by that. Well, social media helped make that happen. Yes. Right? Social media helped make that happen. And so, um, you know, it certainly does a lot of good in promoting important causes and, and giving voice to people who really should be heard. But, you know, there's a, there's a terrible downside to it. And one of the downsides is what you just said, which is that it frays our attention span. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really have to be disciplined to. I mean, our inclination is to pick up the phone. My oh. phone's over there. I went, who's emailed me in the first last? Thing in the morning. Who, what, what's on Facebook? What's on Twitter first thing in the morning? Or you're in the middle of a project and you want to grab the phone just because it's, it's out of habit more than a desire to find out what is yeah. on the phone. So, I don't know. It, and, and I don't envy parents of young children like you. I mean, yes. my daughter's 30 years old. You know, we're, we're, we're beyond being concerned about that right. for her. But uh, you have to worry about how is it going to affect your kids in school? How is it going to affect them in terms of peer pressure and <laughs> bullying? And all? Not to bring you down, Stephanie, but all of this, all of this right you now. thought this of, is, of course, yeah. yourself. So um, it's a challenge. It is. But it's important to talk about. It is important to I talk think, about. I think, you know, right? it's a mirror for who we are as human beings. That's and right. so any of the negativity that it may reflect at us, we need to look at that. And also, right. as a social media platform, it's an algorithm. So yes. there's the parable of the two wolves. You know, which one are you feeding? Yeah. If you're feeding the negativity, if you're engaging in these conversations, it's going to feed you more, you know... It's, it's basically tossing you softballs on things that you're going to react to. Right. And so I think it's interesting if, if people are saying, oh, social media is negative and it's always it's you know, this, it's bad. Maybe that's what you're following. Right. Whereas if you're constantly engaging in positive content and you're supporting mm. other people, your feed will reflect that. And so it's an opportunity to look at humanity and yourself and you know how we're reacting. But it's also definitely an opportunity to step back. <laughs> Well, I think social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of that, um, Snapchat. Is Snapchat still a thing? I'm the worst person to ask. I'm not even on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. But I all do. social media, I think, you know, it's best to look at it like uh, sweets, like pie and cake and cookies, moderation. Amen. That's a perfect reaction, and I agree with you there. Too much of it is not good. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think it's good for your brain. Agreed. And there's science to back it yeah. now. So Stolen Focus is definitely a, right. a good book because he interviews like over 200 experts in various fields, including a magician as a child that ended up getting into coding that went to Stanford uh, and took a class on persuasion techniques for human beings that yeah. was then employed at Google. 
And so how are you going to use these tricks of the mind as a coding mechanism right. to get people to do what you want them to do? Yeah. So it's really fascinating stuff. It um, requires, consumption of it requires discipline. Yes. Right. Yeah, I think any sort of successful human being, you have to have that element of balance. That's so right. You can enjoy a, a good scotch or glass of wine, but you shouldn't be getting drunk every night right. or, you know, a good steak here and there. But, you know, well, my husband's a vegetarian, so <laughs> he would disagree with that comment. But anything in moderation, right. I right. think, is good. That's right. So back to your, your long list of awards, um, you also received a Silver Circle Award for investigative reporting. Well, not for investigative reporting. The Silver Circle is kind of the equivalent of the Chicago Television Hall of Fame. Ooh. And every chapter, every city uh, that's, uh, that where there is a chapter of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the folks who give out the Emmys, mm -hmm. they have their Silver Circle group. And so I was inducted into, into the Chicago Silver Circle in 2018. That's amazing. And it, it's, you know, it's for folks who've spent 25, at least 25 years in the business, 25 years, preferably in Chicago. This, this past induction ceremony in 2022 included some national people who had roots in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, spent the early part of their career in Chicago, have since gone on to national news. But it's really, a, in terms of the Chicago chapter, it's, it's Chicago-centric. So I've been around a long time, and so they <laughs> were <laughs> yeah. nice enough to induct me. Well, I think it's well-deserved. And there was a few interesting things that I saw that you did report on, including um, you went to China. And well, I worked for ABC News. I was a network correspondent for ABC News Tell in the late that. 90s and early 2000s. And I was on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings and Nightline and Good Morning America. Those were Good Morning America and World News Tonight with Peter Jennings were my two primary shows. It's amazing. So one, one period during the four years that I was at ABC, they sent me to China or sent me to Asia to do what we call bureau duty. The regular Asian or regular correspondent based in Asia, based in Tokyo, went on vacation. They brought me over there. And, um, and so I reported from China and Taiwan and Hong Kong and, and Japan. And one of the stories that I did, and I did this story for World News Tonight and for Nightline, was on the Chinese government's crackdown on a group called Falun Gong, a, a religious group. And, 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 you know, they had demonstrations of yoga and Tai Chi in parks, but the Chinese government thought they were involved in some other activities. And so they cracked down. They, you know, went to their headquarters. They took away computers and books and other reading materials. Wow. And so... Was uh, it a legitimate... Crackdown? Like, did were they right that, that they were involved in? Well, I think you have to be suspicious of anything the Chinese government does, sure. but um, I, I th and and I think they're very cautious when it comes to groups amassing within that regime. You know, hmm. so within that country, which is which is which is you know has a as a an oppressive repressive gene uh, a regime, and so. I think that's really why they were cracking down more than anything else. And, mm -hmm. you know, they some people were thrown in jail, and we had to be very careful how we covered the story. And, yeah. You know, if I were, you know, I had to be, at one point, I was going to shoot something on camera near the Forbidden City, and um, 
they, you know, my, the producer I was working with said, I think you, you were certainly under some level of surveillance here and we think you should, you, have to be you might careful. want to go somewhere else yeah. to shoot this. And so wow. that was a fascinating experience. That sounds fascinating and kind of scary. Yeah. A lot scary. Yes. Um, so we just have a couple more minutes left and I really, to me, anytime I'm sitting down talking with someone, I really want to dig deep into like your passion, mm. who you are as a person. I didn't really get to touch on how you, you started your career, but tell me about like what it means to you to be an anchorman and like how it started and the passion you have and maybe like the most important story that you've done or something that really brings out, you know, that flame. Well, I wanted to be a filmmaker. When I was a teenager, I was fascinated by movies and loved The Godfather and The French Connection and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Ooh. Serpico and Buck and the Preacher. And, you know, and, and I thought, I want to pursue a, a career in, in film. And I had an opportunity when I was 20 years old to work at Channel 9 as a film librarian in the newsroom. Mm. And Channel 9 had produced before I was there, had produced some notable filmmakers, including William Freakin, who won an Oscar for The French Connection, and um, some other people. And I thought, well, maybe this might somehow lead me to filmmaking, mm -hmm. working in media, being at a television station. So that was, I was a film librarian in the newsroom, which led to a news writing job, producing television newscasts at Channel 9, eventually reporting. And so I kind of was pulled in the direction of journalism because I was in a newsroom. And what, you know, what I, you know, I think, I don't think of myself so much as an anchor man. I think of myself as a reporter who anchors. Okay. And I like uh, that distinction. Yeah. I've spent most of my life as a reporter, not as an anchor. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it is that I get an opportunity in a, a minute and a half, two minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds in some cases, those are long pieces for a local television newscast, to tell stories and to create my own little movies, mm -hmm. non-fiction movies. And that's what I enjoy about it. And the, I've, I've done any number of stories that have resonated with me that I think about often. Probably the one story had an unfortunate end, but meant more to me than any other. Interestingly enough, was the Jackie Robinson West Little League Oh. team that won the National Little League uh, World Series back in 2014. And what I liked about it is that these kids and these families were from the south side of Chicago. They were from where I'm from. Yes. And it was all about, it wasn't so much about baseball, it was about families, mothers and fathers involved in the lives of their children mm -hmm. and, and teaching their kids how to play baseball and teaching their kids about sportsmanship. They ended up losing, they won the title on the field. They were stripped of the title because um, the little, uh, there was an investigative report that found some of the kids were from outside the district they were supposed uh. to be in. But it doesn't take away from the fact that um, most of those parents were good and loving people and did the right thing and tried to raise their children the right way. So I, I was not only telling the story of a Little League team, I was telling the story of a community and of the families who lived in that community. I love that and that's what this forum is all about is different communities in Chicago and little pockets that we all are from and have stories yes. to tell and you're the one telling the stories and 
I'm so grateful that you took time to come today because I know you have to be on the news at four going, o'clock. Going back to yeah, going back to work after we're finished here. It's but so it's a pleasure. Surreal. Thank you. For Thank coming. you, Stephanie. Thank you. It's a pleasure.